Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going and how to get the job done. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. And in every episode, we consider the research and share our takes on what we're learning every day about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens, and I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Amy Cross, a fellow journalist and founder of Gender Fair, which rates companies and brands on their efforts to advance gender equality. Right now, the Gender Fair app features ratings on 2,500 brands, a number that is growing all the time. Amy has been named a global thinker by FP Magazine for Economic Girl Power, and I can't think of a better description of her. All of which is to say, welcome, Amy. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. And if Raquel doesn't come, it means we get to talk more you and me. So that's fine. Oh, yeah, totally. Don't tell Raquel. No. (laughs) She knows. She's fully aware. Well, so full disclosure that I I am very proud to say that I get to serve on the advisory board for Gender Fair. So I'm completely partial to not only the work that Gender Fair does, but that I love to tout it. So you are looking at topics like leadership and opportunity, employee policy, advertising and communication, diversity reporting, and social responsibility all on a scale. Tell me where this all came from. We decided to grade companies and how they serve women because there was so much talk, talk, talking about equality in my lifetime and things haven't moved since I was a kid. So it's like, <laughs> right. we know what the problems are. They say, you know, you want to change something, you want to count it, you measure it to make progress. So that's when we got the idea to do this back in 2014. So we decided to look at companies uh, with a lens of gender fairness. And we used, we didn't just make these metrics up. We were guided by something the UN created called the Women Empowerment Principles, and, which was originally created by right. Calvert. And so we used those. We looked at all the different metrics they looked at in the areas and we decided which things we could possibly find in the public record and which things also had an average against which, against which we could grade. You know, of, or originally, so we wanted to grade say a company gets an A if they have 50% of women on the board, but people would say, oh, you can't have a scale where nobody wins. And the other point is that... Right, you know, right. I, yeah. I've had that told to me too. I know, it's terrible. It's like, yes. we're not winning, but we acquiesced. Although I told you the woman I talked to at the, at the Black Dollar, she says, no, 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 it should be 13%. Whatever Black women is, that's the benchmark. It's don't make it 4% of women. Right, it's right. It's like, well, good, for, yeah, that's, she's, she's right. And she's bolder than what we did. But you know, it's, I think it's really important to know that the other reason why this is a good task, although, you know, sometimes thankless and difficult, is that data journalism is known to change things. Of course, writing yes. about things does too, but when you measure things, and also data journalism usually has some sort of financial value some reason like people pay more for consumer right. reports for example and they would just to pay you know your own writing about your washing machine when we decided to do something that was going to be really effective at making some change we decided to measure those five categories and report on them and hope that we can change and what's happened in the years since we've been doing this and you started this back in the day with at working mother is that the metrics that are watched and reported on the most are the only ones that move we track now i think 18 different metrics yep and the ones that have moved since I've been doing this are board and parental leave, because those are the ones that are most interesting. Watched. Yes. And yeah. not the other ones, a little bit of, you know. Yeah, they're most bit. out there, yeah. right? The most out there, the most you can, talked about. You can really see, A, they tout the paid leave. They will tout that. So that makes it external. And then the board members, they have to publicly say what their, who their board members are. So those are very external facing for two different reasons. So, so That's right. Yeah. 
But, you know, the, the key thing, the named executive officers, which is the top paid yep. people in a public company, that number hasn't changed in five years. It's like around 14%. Typically, there's five of them and there's one woman. And this is not changing very right. much. So there's a lot of them in my database that have, that, are, that have none. And this is where the real money is made. This is where there's bonuses. This is where there's stock options. And, you know, and that's harder to see because you have to go into the SEC reporting to see who's actually paid the most on the, right. uh, the company's leadership page. They'll put all these leaders up. They'll say, you know, she's the chief popcorn officer and she's the chief this, but she's not, you know, she's the chief pillow officer, but they're not making the big bucks. And this is what's not right. changed. And, but I mean, that's not the only thing we really want to measure. What, that's, what's important to us too is to measure the workforce, workforce for all women, you know, it's not just middle-class women who already kind of have a seat at the table. It's like, what is it like for the, the hourly worker? Hilton is one of the few companies yep. that gives maternity leave to their housekeepers. This, that's, that's huge. That's transformative to have a mm-hmm. lower wage woman get this because usually maternity leave is only for the sort of the middle-class women. That's so wrong. And I, I don't think people are aware of this. I don't think they are. Oh, right. I don't think so either. When I was running the Working Mother Best Companies, we would have a big focus group of any company interested, and it typically were the ones who were competing on the 100 best list. They would come and we'd basically have a focus group and they'd say, we don't understand this question or why aren't you asking about this? And inevitably, the manufacturing companies would always ask every single year, why can't we judge our people on the line on the conveyor belts, you know, and making things differently from our executive office folks? And, and like the answer was the same because they're no different. They're your employees. Oh, you mean they wanted to give them different benefits and things like that, you meant? Yeah. Oh, and they wanted to be judged. They wanted us to judge judge them differently. Well, I think some of those lists do do that. We don't. We accept it. We say we only, we accept the policy when it's given to, to all. That's why we like each other. (laughs) Yeah. It's like none of this nuanced stuff. It's either six weeks or six weeks for everyone, not six to 12 weeks. But I think what's useful about what we're doing and what Working Mother is that it gives like a holistic picture of a company. Because often people who see me and they say, oh yeah, the gender lady, they'll say, oh, my company's doing great. We have two women on the board. It's like, that is great. What about equal pay policies? What about harassment policies? What about giving back to the community of women? What about your average? So people just look at one bit of progress and say it's done. And we, as we know, it's not. But anyway, keep on fighting. Right. Well, then you flip it around because the other big part of gender fair is not just the assessing the company, but empowering women, and specifically women's dollars, to support the companies that have been judged gender fair. Right. I was saying to you earlier when we were preparing that, like back in the day when I was covering the Clinton administration, they were trying to do the same thing for child labor in the rug industry, macchiadoras, like the no slave laborers in garment industries. and, And they had a really hard time getting consumers to understand what those hang tags meant and to change your buying behavior on it. And, but that was like 20 years ago. So it hasn't changed. Well, no, because you have to, you can't just put a tag there and not talk about it. Look, if they're trying to yeah. sell you a Snickers bar, they spend millions and millions and millions of dollars a year selling you a Snickers bar. You're not going to be aware of a Snickers bar mm-hmm. without telling it. So this is a common thing. This is something that I hear. I, I have heard a lot, although there's a lot of research about consumer willingness for behavior, but it does, it has to be, they have to be introduced to it for a long time. Walmart back in the day, yep. we did the, the women owned label. And I remember going to a case study at a conference in Oxford and they talked to someone talked about how, why didn't it work? And it was quite, hopefully it doesn't work there anymore, but because Walmart's made a lot of progress since, but they didn't put any budget on it. So you can't just introduce a new, oh. 
a new label on a shelf and expect people to, you know, choose the woman-owned salsa when they don't know what that woman-owned means. Like, even though it's, of course, it sounds good at first, but, you know, everything takes a while for people to know and trust. So I think that if those garment labels had been around for 30 years, I don't know if they still are, and if there had been some marketing around it, people could, or let's say marketing, say communications, people would make that choice or they might make that choice. That's just still a small percentage of the population. I bet a lot of people would be totally fine to have rugs made by changed children, but a lot of, um, <laughs> you know, it does, it right. takes awareness. Oh, look at the fair trade movement started in 1790 or something like that with the sugar, yeah, lots of sugar. So these ways of thinking about things, but actually the other thing that I really want to make people, I'm hoping to make women think about besides just like, is the shoe company you're buying from good for women? Most aren't. Yeah. What I'm hoping to really teach people is your capital is your power and women give away their capital and their power way too much in our culture. So whether it's you're paying tuition to a university or donating to an organization, paying taxes to a local government, or even giving your labor capital, ask if that or institution mm-hmm. is fair and deserving of your capital. Like, why would I give my tuition? If I'm a young woman, why would I give $78,000 of tuition to a, a university where there's not women in leadership at a good, in good numbers or where there right. isn't a right. sexual assault protection for a woman's assaulted on campus or off campus. Why would I give that? That's my chance. That's like, oh, this is $78,000. I want a fair institution. So that's my, that's yeah. like, if I don't know what, what gender fair will actually end up doing before or after I die. But if I can just teach some people that they have this power to demand more and ask for more. I think that people who are used to not having power in the aggregate are used to just not asking for these things. Like we work with Berkeley. We're doing some stuff with students at Berkeley. And I said to this one young woman, we assessed Berkeley and all the UCAL colleges with a gender fair lens. And I said, just yeah. think, your parents yeah. pay taxes to this. Berkeley's pretty fair, actually, mind you. They, like, they fall down as a parental leave. But if your parents pay taxes to this institution, don't they want this institution to give you the same shot as a male electrical engineer? And she hadn't, she hadn't right. thought of that. Like people just don't think about it. They just accept what it is. Like if you're at a local school board, I mean, your school board should have equality. So your children look up to a diverse leadership in their local schools. This is. And it's everywhere, right? To me, it's basic. Just ask those questions. And yeah, wherever you go, ask those questions. What I'd like to think that, uh, gosh, if we can tell everyone when they're starting their career and in every job that comes after, ask about all the policies. Ask about the leave. Is there paid sick time? Because you won't realize you need it until you don't have it. You know? <laughs> like, right. I swear every woman that I've ever known didn't know their maternity leave policy until they needed it. You right. know? And so I'd like, be smarter. Right. Because that's part of your compensation, too. That's right. And so, yeah, don't go someplace. I always tell the story that I once worked at a place before I had babies where the HR woman just said in passing that they had unpaid maternity leave. And she said, and no one's ever come back from it. And even then I knew, well, geez, if I could figure out how to get along without it, why would I ever come back to a company that doesn't support me? Right. It's terrible, terrible. (laughs) But actually, you know, we only grade companies when they actually are public about their parental leave. Like if if they say, oh yeah, we have a great policy. Uh, If, If you don't share it, then people have to ask that question and they don't know. And so then that's important that this transparency is important for all employees. And there's something, oh, actually, that, that's a future question. I'll tell you about something else that's going on in the future. But as you say, yeah, that's a very powerful moment before you come into an institution. They're trying to sell you. They want your tuition. They want your labor. And this is when you can ask those questions. After Once you're there, you're kind of stuck. You have less, <laughs> right? You have less ability to create yep. change. And I mean, it's just harder. 
it's just way harder. Yeah. Or if you go into a company and they they make you sign a non-forced, they say you can't arbitrate, you have to, you can't sue them if you, if you. Yeah. The forced arbitration and the yeah. non-disclosure agreements tied in. Right. Like, geez, Louise, I mean, non-competes are hard enough. There's a lot of putting a lot of power comes from the employer. And especially since, you know, the sliver of the U.S. population that are represented by collective bargaining unions is so small. So, right. so especially if you take out the government employees, it's so small. So you really, yeah, you're so right. Like the only time you really have leverage is before you sign on. <laughs> you better right. ask these questions. You ask these questions. And you, might, and you might be able to. I wonder if someone could negotiate. I wonder like if a company has a policy. I ha- I'll have to ask yeah. Gretchen Carlson this because she advises us. And Gretchen Carlson has a great, great organization called Lift Our Voices. I don't know if yep. you know it, but you know, she's actually created boilerplate legal language that companies would say, put this in your contract. Like she's making it easy for them. Yeah. It's the things you don't realize you yeah. need. Right. You if know? you say you won't sign it, would they let you get away with it? I wonder if they would. Like if you actually yeah. went there, would you say, okay, I want to come work for you, but I won't sign this. Would they still let you work? I don't know. Right. It's interesting. But at least in the minimum, know that it's there, you know, and be aware and know what you're signing in for. So Lordy Lou, these are important policies to be aware of. Right. And I think people are, are starting to ask and you started it all back yes. in the day. So thank you. You show the 100 best companies, we show the 100 worst. And guess what? Our data is pretty terrible. Like the state of the nation is pretty sad. Only 10% meet our very basic metrics. And certain industries are still really terrible, like the grocery business. The grocery business is, I would say, almost anti-woman. I know someone who sells, who has a great product and she sells it into grocery stores and it had to do with like meal planning and like just dealing with a huge stress in most women's lives, you know, helping with meal planning and stress and shopping. And it's a great product. And apparently the 70-year-old man who she was pitching, to whom she was pitching, laughed at her. <laughs> Somebody needs help making dinner? Oh my my wife does it, no uh, problems. Like, yeah, because your wife has 10 hours to do it, in which to do it. So the grocery business is, I don't think any grocery in our database is gender fair, except Walmart is the only place that actually meets the gender fair standard that sells food. It's pretty terrible. It's really shocking. You think? Yeah, that's a bad. The grocery business yeah. is not... That I hope, I mean, I'm hoping it's changing, but, or maybe some of the private companies right. are better, like the German and Dutch companies that own a lot of the grocery stores, but the public grocery companies are not impressive with their Are not pulling policies. it off. No, not at all. Well, so you were referencing a little bit of like, where does it go then? I mean, we know as certainly the database grows and you start identifying the industries that you're like, right. Jesus, a whole industry, this is terrible, or right. this is the stronger one. But so, you know, gender fair, you can... On the consumer side, from my side, I can get it as an app and I can do it as a Chrome extension, which I love. Right. Modern. So right. where does it go next? What well, are you working well, on? Next is actually getting everyone to use it or getting a slice of the population to use it. So uh, yeah. we've never really tried. We've just been sort of building our brand slowly. We hadn't. We didn't have a really good app that would really be... That was Our last app was just very basic. It was very, very sort of an MVP, as they say. So now, this year, it's to see yep. to see if women actually care about this just like those carpet tags. This year is to go talk to everybody we can. That means I'll be, you know, emailing everyone whom I've ever met and saying, please download the app and buy a paid, buy the $12 paid membership to support our work. And that's what's next. That's the first part that's next. The next part that next is that we are working on rating universities. So with Berkeley, we've helped, we've revised the metrics for schools and we found some databases Mm. that have information. And uh, there's a group of young women are going to be working with us to have ambassadors at each campus collect the data. It won't take that long for each campus. We're going to publish, yeah. publish. We, we already did the data on UCAL Berkeley, and then we're going to publish okay. maybe another hundred universities in the States. 
then with these same young women, they want to create a pledge for graduates saying, we're not going to work for companies unless you have these policies. And of course, our database has a lot of those and has a lot of that information. And then what's also next is working with nonprofits. So I don't know if you know Kimberly Churches, there's she's the head of American Association of University Women. And the other day I heard her speak and she was saying, Mm -hmm. we focus so much on Fortune 500s, but we've given a hall pass to nonprofits and universities, which is true. Oh, and in terms of gender and sort of gender equality. So we actually also, we use our holistic lens to evaluate nonprofits. So we've looked at Save the Children and they've done really well. But mind you, nonprofits traditionally have been workforce of powerless women with men at the top. Really? Except of course, women's. Yeah, it's a, it's a standard. It's a very common thing in the nonprofit world. There's like, you can see stories about looking at the compensation of some of the major nonprofits that aren't solely gender focused. But keep in mind, the gender focused ones only get 1.6% of all money. So if you're talking about the charitable sector, 98% of the charitable sector mm. is in very, I would say, like non-woman friendly or non, not gen- very gender equal organization. So that's pretty stunning. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's another thing to change. So we, we want to try to apply this lens in many places, even to government. And we've created this new automated assessment tool so that private companies can see how they're doing. And then, then they can say to their stakeholders, we've mastered these basic standards. I mean, it's the basic standard. Right. It's not full equality. It's just like we're a little bit better than others, but we're on our way. And then hopefully, as we keep on measuring over the years, the numbers will creep higher and higher as they do with Working Mothers Database, right? Same thing every year. Yeah. The difference with Working Mother is that is if a company falls out, another comes in. So as a mass, they kind of slowly lurch forward, you know, mm-hmm. as a it doesn't wave up and down as much, which makes it less exciting. But we would always trump it where like, woo, the... You know, the average number of paid weeks maternity leave went up. Yay, one week. Well, it's, I mean, it's good, actually. I've been, we've been seeing that. I think when I started counting the average, and I we use that as the average, their average of the best, I think it's now 12 weeks. Oh, yeah. It was, it was eight up. before. That's big. Yeah, 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 for sure. And the men, it never moves that much. It's always three. The average taken is two. I, I don't know if it's gone up since I was running it. We could never get that one to move. It's such a small number. To begin with, at least, you know, the women's number is a little bigger. Right. And adoption and, was always five weeks. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, we don't measure adoption. That would be a, because that data is very hard to find unless a company's going to give it to you. So, yeah. And the other thing is, since you and I started in this, in this world, is like, now there's so many of these surveys that people don't want to answer them. They're just exhausted yeah. from it. We don't do that. We do it as journalism. We, we report on what we find. Yeah. As opposed to ask for the information, though, which also skews mm-hmm. what kind of information you can get. But. Yeah. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see, will women care about this? Does anybody care? Will men care? I mean, it's actually an easy way for male allies to take a stand and say, okay, you know, I'm going to buy, uh, I'm going to buy my girlfriend or my boyfriend shoes from a company that is better to women than most, most like will, they, right. will anyone act on that? I look forward to seeing if, if women matter <laughs> or not, right. <laughs> or not. I hope we do. It's different than a, like a boycott action, right? It's, it's right. a positive move. It's taking the money and pushing it forward in a direction that is positive as opposed to hoarding it. Not, not, that's right. Not the, that's not a good word, but, but holding it back in an absence. Right. And I would like to, and of course, a lot of people know the companies that are bad, and that's worked very well. Like, look what Jennifer Siebel Newsom did with the Representation Project. Mm-hmm. The not buying movement, not buying it movement, really made a huge effect on yeah. advertising. You can actually see it, like GoDaddy going from these terrible ads to like to good ads and good policies, and they're working really hard and improving. And that's, you know, that's great to see that someone could make such a big effort, but it had, it worked, it worked from rage. So it's, it's much easier to get people to act on rage yes. 
I mean, and we know that, and which is totally fair. So I try to say, if I'm trying to talk people into to downloading the app or even just shopping with our principles, I say, you know, 90% of companies suck. So don't, <laughs> you, don't you want to buy from the 10% that don't suck? But yeah. And actually, what the thing that I, yeah. uh, that what I really want to see, Jennifer, yeah, I do. <laughs> what I want to see is I want to see one online store that will put gender fair labeling as you shop. Like Amazon right. talked to us for years, they never did it. I don't know. I, I, that would make it so easy. Like today I was on Pottery Barn's site. I was looking for curtain rods. And actually now I don't know if Pottery Barn is gender fair. So I've got to check before I buy. But Right. Because I only buy gender fair or women owned. And uh, they offered me fair trade curtain rods. They, it was a filter for the products. So I was like, well, that's how easy I want it to be. Yeah. I'll stop. I'll stop it's when it's tagging. easy. It's tagging. It's actually not. Yeah. So if anybody cares, if these companies really care about transforming the world for women, the ones that talk about International Women's Day, they can easily do that for a small amount of money. So um, I'm going to go, I think I'll start writing it. Maybe I'll start doing a petition. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That, it's, uh, <laughs> you project. heard it here first, women. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who has time to sign a petition? Women are overloaded. Now we have to work on getting care for the whole country. Like, did you see that letter that went out yep. today? A hundred days for care. This is, uh, we, we, we're signatories to it. And this is the pressing issue. I don't expect women to do anything besides just keep their heads above water run their households. Right, right. And that's your whole point. It's that this shouldn't be hard. Like be hard, the yeah. brands and the retailers and manufacturers, make it easy. Make it easy for us. Be good at being gender fair and right. then make it easy for us to see that you're good. And let's do it. Right. Don't make it on me. You make it easy. Like, right. that's not that hard. But look at the rest of the corporate world. Like, you know, when it comes to like changing the unfairness of corporate structures, it's, you know, the black people run the black ERG and advocate for change and they do it on their own time. And right. you know, same thing for women. So yep. this is, you know, this is, seems to be the pattern of our culture is that there are problems in the culture and the people who suffer from the problems have to fix it as opposed to those who made the problem. And I find that right. incredibly right. unfair, but I guess it's the way it is at the moment, but I want to, hopefully we can change it. Maybe we can change it. The only way it will change, I guess, as you say, is that we change it. So I appreciate all the work that you do ah. to try to push it forward. Literally, like the rope on your shoulder, pulling it forward. So yeah, exactly. thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today on The Breadwinners. Our guest today was Amy Cross of Gender Fair. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. It was a delight to talk to you, Jen. You will find links to what we discussed in the episode description. I will hook you up with all the links to all the gender fair info that you need. Email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.